0: Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, practical Buddhism for the modern world. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hi, welcome to episode 23 of the Toward Light podcast. Over the last few weeks, I've been noticing this pattern of behavior where I'm either agitated and overdoing and overthinking, or on the flip side and then sort of paralyzed, stuck, frozen. When I bring my dharma practice to this pattern, what I notice is that these are two hindrances that are arising. Several weeks ago, when talking about the fourth foundation of mindfulness, I talked about the five hindrances, five things that can get in the way of our practice, get in the way of our path. The five are greed, aversion, restlessness and worry, sloth and torpor, and doubt. So the two that have been coming up for me are these pairs of restlessness and worry and torpor and sloth. These have two terms associated with them because one of the terms is about what's happening in the body and one is in the mind. So restlessness in the body, worry in the mind torpor in the body, sloth in the mind. I'm going to explore these, how they show up, what they are, how we see them in our practice, how we see them in our lives, how we work with them. What's really important about the hindrances is that we're really curious about why are they arising. So much of our work is looking at the underlying seeds that have germinated into the hindrances, so we can change our patterns and our behaviors. So beginning with this pair of restlessness and worry, restlessness in the body and worry in the mind go together, but often we notice one more than the other. Maybe you notice the worry, anxiety thoughts that happen in the mind, and then you see that you're having trouble sitting still Or maybe you are more in tune with the bodily experience and then if you check in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm worrying too, like I'm flicking my fingers and oh, that's because I'm worrying. Do you know how your body expresses restlessness? Can you notice how it links to mental worry? Which do you notice first? A couple years ago, I was sitting at an outdoor cafe And there's a bench that goes around the perimeter. So several tables are linked to the same bench. And I was sitting at one table and the bench was vibrating. And a couple tables over, a person was sitting there moving his foot. To me, I assumed from the patterning that it was agitation or worry, this restlessness in his body. And I could tell that he did not know he was doing it it was so automatic. And so there's an example of restlessness in the body. I have no idea what was going on in his mind. But restlessness in the body was very present. And he was blind to it, or didn't see how it was affecting others. So notice that in in your experience, are there habits of restlessness in your body that you do without thinking of it, that are so unconscious that you don't even really notice at all. In the teachings, there are a couple of similes that the Buddha uses for each of these hindrances. One, to help us understand and feel what it's like when the hindrance is present, and one, when the hindrance is absent. When restlessness and worry are present, the Buddha says it's like if there's a bowl of water and it's being stirred by the wind. So see if you can connect with that feeling a little bit. What what makes you feel stirred by the wind or how can you connect with that feeling? So why does this arise? The first thing with this hindrance of restlessness and worry that has such a bodily component is the first thing we do is we look at our physical experience. Have we had a bunch of coffee? Do we need to work out and we haven't worked out? Is there some kind of tension or something in the body that needs to be stretched or moved? Are we super well rested and feeling really energized? So first checking in with the body and seeing if that's what's leading to this restlessness. Especially with meditation, it's important to notice, okay, what am I doing before I sit down? I remember times going to an evening sitting group and having a friend who would just turn to me and say, "Oh no, I shouldn't have had that coffee." And we'd laugh about it. That's a way we can care for our practice, care for this path, is to check in and see what are we doing with our body. So there are these physical triggers that can happen. Restlessness and worry can also be triggered by cultural norms. Living in the society that we live in, there's a real emphasis on busyness, on productivity, on accomplishment. And so sometimes those things can really feed our worry. Oh, I need to get this done. I need to do this. We can, we can get kind of lost in that. We can have expectations about when we want things to be done or how we want things to be done. And so we can get fixated and get caught in a trap of worry around that. Currently living during a pandemic, of course there's going to be restlessness and worry. Worry can come up as being worried about our loved ones, worried about ourselves, and we need to honor what of that worry is wholesome and keeping us safe, and what of it is a hindrance. So for me to have the thought of, okay, I'm going to do this thing, so I need to make sure I wear my mask and bring my hand sanitizer and whatever else I feel like I need to keep myself safe, that is a fine thought pattern to have that is wholesome, that is useful. But if I spend the three hours before I go out obsessively sort of repeating that list to myself, worrying about it, worrying I'm going to forget something, worrying that other people aren't going to follow the rules or whatever, that's not so useful. and That gets in the way of clarity of mind. It's important to note that sometimes restlessness and worry can be related to a trauma response. I was on a retreat and somebody was doing a behavior that was a trauma trigger for me. And so every time this person would make that sound, do that behavior and make that sound, I would become hypervigilant. I would become extra alert. The worry would start to happen. I'd feel a little restless in my body. And because I know that that sound and that behavior is a trauma trigger, I could say, okay, like that's what's happening. And I could settle back into my body. And sometimes I had to spend the whole practice period going back and forth between the worry, the restlessness, and then the settledness. I didn't necessarily stay settled, but I was able to see that this was a trauma response and that that's why this hindrance was arising. So this first step, when a hindrance arises, our first step is to catch it, and our second step is to to see what's underneath it, to get curious. And then what does it feel like when restlessness and worry are not present? The simile the Buddha uses is the absence of it is like being freed from slavery. Do you feel enslaved by your worry? Do you feel like it's telling you what to do, controlling you? dominating you? When do you feel free of that? What conditions lead to a more peaceful mind? What conditions allow for your body to settle? If you notice that caffeine makes you restless, can you reduce that a little bit? Or if you notice that being around certain people or being in certain locations can help you feel more settled, feel more peaceful, can you do more of that? Noticing what helps you feel free of, free from the restlessness and the worry. In one of the commentaries, there are antidotes for each of the hindrances. So for restlessness and worry, we can turn to that and ask ourselves, okay, what tools can I use when restlessness and worry arise so that they can abate? One thing is that we can study, learn, and question the teachings. So if the mind is already busy, why not give it something more wholesome to be busy about? Why not explore using the tool of investigation or using a teaching that can help focus the mind? Another tool we can use is to reflect on and practice sila or ethical conduct. When we're worried or fearful about things happening around us or in the world, we can rest in the knowledge of our sila, of our goodness, of our ethical conduct. That can help settle the worry. And an antidote that's available for all of the hindrances is good friends and suitable conversation. So we can feel support, can feel connected. If we're fixated on a worry, we can get another perspective. So I'll give a couple of examples. If I'm meditating and my legs sort of jiggling and my toes feel like they have to move, it's hard to sit still, I'll turn my attention to the mind and notice what mind states are present or absent. I might ask questions, what do I know about that mind state? Can I simply label it? Is that enough? Or do I need to access some investigation, asking the questions, What am I experiencing and how am I relating to it? Am I noticing that there's all this energy, restless, anxious energy in my body or mind? Do I need to balance that energy by cultivating some concentration maybe by picking an object of attention and and allowing my mind and my body to settle on that? This is an exploration for each of us and each time it's going to be different. But each time that we notice restlessness and worry are present, we get to ask questions, we get to get curious about why, about what we're experiencing, and how we can allow it to move through and pass away. Recently, I was on Instagram and saw a video of an arrest of a reporter that really bothered me. So initially, there was anger, but then it led to this worry and restlessness and anxiety And so I got curious about, okay, how can I apply the teachings to cultivating anti-racism, to connect with wise action, to check my sila, and then to connect with others to figure out how we can support, how we can better support and take action so that this doesn't happen again. So you can see that this can be applicable both in our practice and in our life. We notice when restlessness and worry is arising, we look at the underlying causes, and then we see how we can let go of it, how we can change directions. Do we need to do some studying or questioning of the teachings? Do we need to look at our ethical conduct, or can we connect with others and get support? Something that happened to me a bunch when I was on retreat a couple weeks ago is that I would be in my meditation posture and there would be a lot of restlessness. And the second that I would lie down, I would immediately fall asleep. So one of the reasons that restlessness can arise sometime is because we're actually exhausted. So that's why I feel like it's so important to talk about restlessness and worry side by side with torpor and sloth because they are related. Torpor in the body can feed sloth in the mind. So which do you notice first? Where do you feel torpor first? I often feel that slow, sleepy feeling in my face and my eyes. Harder to keep my eyelids open. My shoulders start to sh- slump. My posture starts to fall apart. How How does sloth manifest for you? What do you notice in your mind? How does your mind feel when sloth is present? An example I can give of sloth showing up in my life is when I'm editing the podcast. I love recording episodes. I love posting them. But the editing process itself is a little bit tedious. I notice myself getting sleepy when I do it. Or maybe there's a night where I don't sleep well, and then I wake up and I'm supposed to be dealing with some important decisions or whatever, and and my, my mind just isn't working. These are some experiences of torpor and sloth. The simile the Buddha uses here for the presence of torpor and sloth is this bowl of water, but it's overgrown with algae. And that—that that is what my mind feels like when sloth is present. It definitely feels like there's kind of like muffled by a blanket or something or overgrown, sticky. So when do torpor and sloth arise? Again, we look at the physical first. Are you sleep deprived? Did you just do a really intense workout? Have you just had a really difficult conversation with someone? Have you been working hard all day? Sometimes sleepiness is just sleepiness. Sometimes the body is just sleepy. And when we're practicing and sloth arises, we can ask the question, like, is the energy lacking in the practice or is it stagnant? Are we sort of doing the same thing over and over again? Does it feel not interesting? Is that where some of this sloth is coming from? A cultural norm that feeds this hindrance is the same as with restlessness, is this productivity mindset, right? We're so often just push, push, pushed so that we can often be very tired and not even know it because we're thinking that the norm is this crazy level of productivity and activity we're also inundated by so much throughout our day. So many images on our laptops, TVs, phones, billboards, whatever the thing is, we are taking in so much information. It's a cultural thing. 2,600 years ago in northern India, when the Buddha's followers and the Buddha were doing alms rounds, they weren't seeing billboards of half-naked people and guns and seven different radios blasting as they were driving down the street, like they weren't experiencing that. So we need to see the toll that that can take on us. We're also living in a pandemic, which means for many of us, our lives have been changed in different ways. And for many of us, there is a feeling of heaviness or weightiness of overwhelm, which can be exhausting, which can really wear us down. And just as with restlessness and worry, it's possible that it's related to a trauma response. Some people, when triggered, end up sleeping more. That's how they relate to, to a traumatic trigger. I have a pattern. It's lessened now, but when I was newer to practice and I would sit in a new group, I would always fall asleep. It's like my system was so overwhelmed being in a new space. That it couldn't handle it. And so I'd be meditating and I would fall asleep every time. Again, over time, that's changed because I know that pattern. And so when I'm going to a new group, I try and get there early enough so I can walk around the space and feel comfortable. I notice where I sit. I make sure I sit somewhere that feels comfortable and safe to me. And I really set the intention to stay awake during the sit. And if possible, I stand up so that I can bring more energy. So how do we notice when sloth and torpor are not present? The simile is being released from prison. Do you feel imprisoned or trapped by torpor and sloth? Are there ways where your physical slowness or mental dullness can make you feel caught, trapped, stuck? When do you feel released from it? When do you feel a balanced energy so you're not overly energized, but you're not sleepy either? What helps you to get to that place? And what is your edge between feeling settled and calm and being sleepy? Do you notice that? Can you see when your mind starts to dip down into sloth and torpor? What are the tools that we can use when torpor and sloth arise? When we're meditating, I just mentioned it, we can change postures. If you're lying down, sit up. If you're sitting up, stand up. If you're standing up, do walking. In practice and in life, we can lessen our food intake. It's very hard for me to meditate on a full stomach because I often want to just go to sleep. So being mindful and careful about how much food I take in to keep the energy level up. We can go outdoors. We can have more light. Sometimes when we're meditating, we can open our eyes. Or if it's the evening and I have a lot to do before I go to bed, I turn on all the lights. There's something about having the light that helps me stay awake, stay alert, stay out of the slothful mind and be more functional. Another tool that's mentioned is mental clarity. So actively seeing through the sloth actively making the choice to be here with this. And then good friends and suitable conversation. So keeping us active and keeping us connected. So some examples, if I'm meditating and my head is bobbing, I'm falling asleep and I'm sitting, I'm going to stand up. Probably going to open my eyes for a bit. I might move outside and I might pick an active meditation object to keep me a little bit busy. So whether that's phrases doing a Brahma Vihara practice, whether it's a counting breath practice, trying to keep myself engaged, maybe I'll do a noting practice where I'm noting different mind states, whatever it is, just waking myself up, keeping myself alert, keeping the body alert and the mind alert. Or at home, if I'm nodding off while I'm reading and I'm not truly tired, this is a moment to investigate. I can go outside, I can turn on the light, but maybe what I need to be doing is getting curious about what's happening. Why am I falling asleep? Am I taking in too much information? Is this book not engaging me? What is the resistance if that's the case? What would help me to be engaged? Do I need to read it in smaller chunks? Do I need to write about it? And maybe I need an accountability buddy. If there's a book that I'm reading that I feel is important for me to keep reading, that I don't want to put down, yet I'm struggling with staying awake with it, I might need an accountability buddy. I might need someone to read the book with or to talk about the book with so I can continue to stay engaged and break through this pattern of sloth. Number one, we notice when sloth and torpor are arising. Two, we get curious about what's, what's underneath that. And then three, we change postures, take in some light, get a little bit more active in our mind, or connect with others. Whether it's restlessness and worry or torpor and sloth, when these hindrances arise, they're just hindrances. We can see them as just hindrances arising. We don't need to take on the label of I'm an anxious person or I'm a lazy person. We can notice, oh, hey, this hindrance is arising. Let's get curious. I wonder what that's about. Hmm. Interesting. We don't need to get stuck or lost in the hindrance because we can see it for what it is, a mind state that will arise and pass away. And we have tools to use to try and break the patterning. May we all find ways To notice these hindrances as they arise. Get curious about them and let them go. Thank you so much for listening. The links are in our show notes. You can find me on Instagram at towardlight108 and the website is towardlight.net. If you have any questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Be well.